It is my privilege and honor to be with you here this morning. I do apologize for my cold and my voice. I was in Tahoe these past few days with my kids hiking, and it seems to have taken its toll on me, but it's okay. We're here. Um, I bring greetings from Emmanuel Baptist Church. You're fondly remembered with us in prayer, and it is a privilege again for me to be with you this morning. I believe that I do have some people know who I am, due to the simple fact that they stalked me on Facebook and found out what I look like. <laughs> Whoever you are, good morning. Okay, please don't do that again. No, just kidding. And uh, this is what I look like without a skirt or a kilt, as, as my Facebook page looks like. But it is a privilege to be here this morning. To open up this, God's treasure to us, just as our, our brother said this morning about how that poor man has made an idol of his books. We need to make an idol of this book because it's the only book that we need. It's the only book we should read. There, thereabouts, we can read all our books, but this is the one where we find wisdom and glory in God. So this morning, you'll have read that passage in John and thought, what in the world is this crazy Irish man going to open up? By the way, I'm Irish, not Scottish, just to get that out there now. But... It's a topic that is very applicable for me. So if it's applicable for me, it's applicable for you this morning as well. In the fourth century, there lived a Christian or a monk named Telmachus. He lived in a remote village. And one day, he was tending his garden. And he thought he heard the voice of God. Okay, It was telling him to go to Rome. And back in those days, he didn't have nice cars or anything else. And that poor man set out in foot. And wearied, many weeks later, he arrived at the capital city. And at the time, it was one of a great festival. The little monk followed the crowd surging down the streets into that large round bowl called the Colosseum. He saw the gladiators, mighty with armor, standing before their emperor and they sang, we who are about to die salute you. This poor man was puzzled in his mind and he thought, what on earth are these men doing? They're going to fight to the very death for entertainment. And the crowd were crying out, kill one another. This poor man shouted out in his little small frail voice, in the name of Christ, stop. As the games began, he pushed his way through the crowd climbing over the great wall, and he dropped onto the floor of the Colosseum. When the crowd saw this tiny man, they thought, huh, this is part of what's all happening. But the young, this man ran up to the gladiators and shouted out, in the name of Christ, stop. Please stop. The crowd thought it was part of the show and began to laugh. When they realized that it actually wasn't part of the show, their laughter turned to anger. And as he was pleading with the gladiators there to stop, one of them put the sword in him. And as he fell to the ground, the crowd also lifted stones and stoned him as he lay there. And his last words that he cried out were, in the name of Christ, stop. And then a very strange and wonderful thing happened. As the gladiators stood lying at this tiny figure lying there, hush fell over the Colosseum. 
and perhaps way up in the very echelons of that place, one by one, the people began to exit the Colosseum. And in silence, everyone left. The year was around 391 B.C., and that was the last battle to the death between gladiators in the Roman Colosseum. Never again in that great stadium did men kill each other for the entertainment or the pleasure of the crowd. All because of one tiny little voice that could hardly be heard above that tremendous tumult of noise. One voice, one life that spoke the truth in Christ's name. And that story this morning illustrates the power that one person can have when they courageously take their stand for the Lord. We see the same sort of courage in the passage that we've already read. In these verses, our Lord Jesus Christ has given his life and his body is now upon the cross. It's broken, it's bloody, it's marred, it's lifeless. And it's dead. The crowds depart. His mother, Mary, or his mother Mary and John leave the scene of his death. The soldiers are preparing to leave also. It's a sad scene of death, of pain, and of sorrow. But out of the darkness, out of the darkness that seems there's going to be no coming back from, In that bleak moment in Calvary shone the light of one brave soul. Out of all the people that followed Christ, there was one man who was willing to identify himself with the Lord Jesus Christ. One man was willing to claim and minister to the body of our Lord. And it's this man that this morning I want to consider. Some of you may never have thought of this man before. You may get to verse 37 and go, Christ is dead and skip on. But those verses have some rich teaching for us this morning. Now I'm going to go and read the other four accounts as they're found in Matthew and Mark and Luke, just to put it all into its context. You can turn there with me if you want. The first one is Matthew 27. Matthew 27. In verse 57, when we read these words, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock and he rolled a great stone into the entrance of the tomb and went away Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb and then if we scroll across to Mark chapter 16 sorry Mark 15 verse 42 And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respectable member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. 
Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, was saw were there where he was laid. And then turn across to look, finally. Luke 23. <clears throat> Luke 23. And verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to the decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever, been, had ever yet been laid. It was a day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The woman who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. And that is the word of God. Let us turn to our Lord in prayer before we open up these passages. Our loving Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with love and joy in our hearts when we see what you have done for us in Calvary. When we see that you, dear Lord, gave your life that we could be called your children. Dear Lord, we do pray now that as we open up these words that we would do it with reverence and with awe that we would do it knowing that these are the living words of you and you alone. Help us, dear Lord, to glean the truth from these and to put it into our lives and to put it into practice that we indeed could be faithful Christians in these days. For those who are here who do not know you, dear Lord, we do pray that you would soften their hearts this day, that you would open their eyes and ears to see and to hear the message of the gospel and that they too could come and confess their sins before you and indeed be called children of yourself. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. The structure of my sermon shall be the following. There will be basically three points. We're going to look at Joseph under three headings. Who he was, who he became, and the job he had to do. So those of you who are taking notes, who he was, who he became, and the job he had to do. Who he was. We read in the book of John in verse 38 that he was a disciple of Jesus, but, and there's a huge but, he did this secretly for fear. This man, sadly, was a fearful man. But we might ask the question, well, who was he fearful of? Well, he was fearful of the Jews, those fellows who he actually was in council with, funny enough. You see, when they went to cast the votes, that was to send our Lord to death, he didn't. He abstained. We read that in the, in the account of Luke chapter 23. He was a disciple in secret for fear. Fear had crippled this man and fear had made him not open his mouth. He didn't open his mouth to defend our Lord and he didn't say anything when they took that vote. Now, for me as a believer, thinking upon that, 
got to have caused this man great anguish. This man must have been standing there and hearing all the vile things that those people were hurling at our Lord when they spat on him, when they whipped him, when they beat him. This is the one who he loved. But this is the one who right now he didn't open his mouth to defend or to save for fear of man. And perhaps when we read that passage and we think of fear, our minds tends to think of Peter. And the way, not only also for fear, but he didn't even keep his mouth shut, sadly. He opened it. And he actually said three times that he wasn't the Lord's disciple. But if we stopped and pondered and thought, what would we have done? What would we have done in those situations? Perhaps in the next year, we'll also have to make a choice to open our mouths or to not, to defend our Lord or to not. I'm from Ireland, and in Ireland, the whole homosexual movement is rising everywhere. And the Christian has been trampled underfoot. We're being called bigots. We're being called narrow-minded. This is our Lord they're talking about. When abortion laws are being passed left, right, and center, when sin is actually being promoted all around, will we stand against it and open our mouths? Will I stand against it? Or will we remain silent for fear of man? And what man might do to us? When the Christian is being attacked for being narrow-minded, being that bigot, Will we open our mouths? Will we defend our Lord? Or will we do what Joseph did and say nothing? See, this morning in this room as we sit here, this is tremendously important to us. But is it possible to be, as the Bible calls it, a secret disciple? Well, let me first clarify that as the Lord truly knows those who he's called. Okay, that's beyond the shadow of a doubt. But yet, do we not read in, all, in, in the rest of Scripture about this very thing? See, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You see, there's a whole change that happens in a person when they come in contact with God as our Savior. There's a change in the man's heart. That heart of stone is removed and a heart of flesh is put in. But there's also something declared with your lips. It's an outward expression of what has been done in your heart. And that's the whole picture of the Word of God that sets before us, that our faith without works is dead. We cannot be saved by our faith. Let's get that straight. Our our, our Our works won't save us. Only Christ will save us. But you see, if our faith is dead and there is no works that come with it, and if we do not confess with our lips that Christ is Lord of our lives, then we have to ask the question, are we really saved? When we get baptized and we confess, believer, this morning, is is this the one and only time that you've openly confessed Christ as your Lord? 
Is this the only time that you have shown the world that He is your Savior? Then this morning I ask and urge you, repent. Confess. And show the world who is King of your life above all else. There may indeed be some surprises in heaven, and I'm sure there will be, but they'll be good. And then sadly, there are going to be more in hell. But we see that Christ does have his secret disciples, just like this man of Joseph of Arimathea. But sad to say, there are times in our lives, and I can look at my life, and believe you me, I've preached this to myself before I bring it to you, that there are times in our lives that we too can act the part of a secret disciple. Perhaps a work colleague takes the name of our Savior in vain and we put our head down and we say nothing. We're fearful of man. Perhaps where I worked at in Northern Ireland, the Lord's Day is nothing more than day of lying in bed going for big dinners and sadly recovering from the night before. And yet we as Christians don't say anything of the love of the Sabbath day that we have. We don't say anything of the enjoyment that we have each Sunday as we go to our church. And as Matthew Henry would call us, we are incognito. That is, we say and we do nothing. Brothers and sisters, this morning, Open your mouth and confess Christ as Lord. Kneel your colors to the mast. This morning, if you're sitting on the fence and you don't want to say anything and everything else, get off it. Okay? While today is still today and the Lord gives you breath in your body, confess Him as your King. Confess Him as your Lord. I look back at my own life and with sadness and regret can say that I got baptized and I confessed the Lord as Savior and that was it. I was fearful of man. I was scared of what man might say when I was like, well, I go to church on a Sunday and they might laugh at me. Who cares? When they would say to you, you know, are you coming down the pub for a drink and you would say, no, I want to be with my family. And they might mock you and ridicule you. Who cares? I didn't defend my Lord as I should. I didn't stand for His name when others took it as a swear word. Shame on me. But this morning I'm so thankful that that's not how I am right now. There are times when we can be fearful. Coming in here this morning, I was fearful. I did not know any one of you at all. Gladly to say you're all still smiling and still awake, which is always good. It's always a positive. If you can get through your first point without anyone sleeping, you're doing good. So we're doing all right. But we can be fearful. You know, a family member takes the name of our Savior in vain. And what do we do? Do we look them in the eye and tell them, hey, that's not right. That's the King of kings and Lord of lords who I love and cherish who died for me, please don't do that. Or do we look away, close our mouth, say nothing? Even worse, we can get to the point when people take the name of the Lord in vain and 
it goes in one ear and out the other and has no meaning at all. This morning I urge you, make your call and your election sure. Make the fact that Christ is king in your life the most important thing. Christian, fear not man. Some of us men at times can be fearful. We at our church have a men's breakfast as well. I'm glad you have it too. And thanks for putting on a huge meal for me today. I feel very privileged. Okay. <laughs> but at times us men and women can be fearful when it comes to time of prayer. I know in our men's breakfast we have some brothers who are fearful when it comes to opening their mouths and praying. They think, well, if such and such is here, if, if our pastors are here and, and they're sitting at my table, I could, I could never pray. I could never pray like they could. I could never follow that person. Remember something. We don't pray to each other. We pray to God. Okay? Encourage one another. The men who stand up here, do you think it's easy? That man who led us in worship this morning, do you think it's easy? It's not. It's a fearful thing. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Let each other know that you're praying for each other. Don't just think, well, they're going to know. The men who stand up here do not have crystal balls. You might think they do, but they don't. Okay? So if you're praying for your pastor, let him know. If you're praying for a dear sister, let her know. Be included in one another's lives. Love one another. Engage in one another. And build each other up that the fear that we see here in this man would not be in your life. Okay, We can pray to a God who will help us with these things. If you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died and was rose and raised again, confess it with your mouth. Tomorrow when you go to work, go into your workplace, perhaps on a Monday morning like me, it's like, oh, here we go again. It's another week. Perhaps we need to go in with a smile on our face. And someone might say, why are you so happy? Because I got to fellowship with the saints of God. I got to worship our great God. I got to be engaged in this. Let them know. Don't be afraid. So we've seen who this man was. But praise God, and we do praise God, that we can now see who he became. He became an open disciple. You see, it was a very open thing that he did that night. He went to that palace with boldness and with strength from God. And we can now look at this man with, with a favorable outlook. You know, we can sometimes read in our Bibles and we go, I'm glad I'm not like that person or I'm not like this person. Or we can look in the days that we live and we go, I'm not like this or not like that. But when we look at Joseph here, we can clearly see this man was fearful but now he's not. See, he went to the palace of Pontius Pilate and he asked for the body of Christ. He, at this point, was a very brave man and a very positive man. If we take a step back from Joseph and we look at Pilate, he probably had one of the worst days imaginable. Take your Monday morning, how bad it might be, multiply it by a hundred times. You might come close to how he was. You see, we read that Pilate, from the very early stages in the morning, 
that the leaders of the Jewish nation said that he and he alone had to do something about this bogus Messiah. They wanted Jesus to be sentenced to death and on a cross. And they hounded Pilate all day. Picture it. This man's conscience was torn this way and that way. Because we read in the Gospels that Pilate could find no fault in him alone. He could see nothing that they wanted Jesus to be killed for. But they did. They, he wanted to set Jesus free. But yet it's not what these Jewish men wanted. They wanted this man to suffer. He tried to appease their anger by lashing our Lord with whips and with pieces of bone that attached to the end or ripped the very flesh from his back. He even offered them Barabbas. It wasn't good enough. These men weren't happy. They wanted Christ to die. They even threatened to report him to Caesar. And so when you take all those things into account, you can imagine what sort of mood this man might have been in. He just sent a just man to die upon a cross. No doubt his conscience was screaming at him. And as he sat down upon perhaps a huge throne or a large chair, he put his hands in his head and he thought to himself, well, at least that's over with. It's gone. It's just a matter to be written into the history books. But then a knock came at the palace door. And there walked in Joseph of Arimathea. And sadly, all had not gone away. Joseph came in and begged and pleaded for the body of Christ. Pilate must have been in a vile state of mind. He must have been so fed up with everything that was going on. But yet, Joseph still came in with boldness and he craved for the body of Christ. And when you take what Pilate was and what he could do and what Joseph did and what he did, it's a very positive outlook upon this man. Now, Joseph... Joseph had very many other good points. He was a good man, a just man. And we read that in the other passages. But think of the courage and the bravery it took to go in to, at that time, the most powerful man in the land to ask for the body of the one whom he had just sentenced to death while finding no fault in him. Where were the disciples? They had, they had run him out. Where were the people who had followed Christ? Gone. Where were all the people who had seen the miracles and the wonder and all the wonders that he had done? They were gone. But yet this man, who was fearful, is now bold. And with boldness he asked Pilate for the body of Christ. I'm sure as his hand thumped that door, and the door was opened and the guard looked at him and went, What in the world are you doing here? Joseph turned around and said, I wish to speak with Pilate. I'm sure he was wearing a kilt, <laughs> not a skirt. His knees might have been knocking together. You would have seen it. Okay? There's a kilt, by the way, and it was from Ireland, not Scotland. Okay? <laughs> and I'm sure Pilate sat there and thought, what are, what are you doing here? I am fed up listening about this Christ. But he went in there with boldness. He didn't care what was going to happen. Pilate could easily have got a sword and just whoosh, chopped his head off. But Joseph didn't care. And I'm sure before the night was over throughout the streets, the word had spread like wildfire. 
No different in our day than in their day. People like a good gossip. And the word had gone out. <laughs> Did you hear about Joseph? Did you hear about that boy? He's come in and asked for the body of Christ and to bury it in his own tomb. One of Sanhedrin has become a disciple of Jesus Christ. He didn't even open his mouth. What's going on here? What's happening? But you see, the fear of the Jews had gone out the window. And praise be to God that a whole new window had opened. Joseph was a secret disciple no more. No more. But also think to yourself, it's different for us sitting today. But what else he did and when he did it and the timing that he did it was also significant as well. You see, that morning the whole Sanhedrin would not have gone into that palace for it was the time of the Passover and they would have been come unclean had they set foot anywhere near it. They would have been unclean. Unlike us, this morning we got up, we showered, we washed, we're clean. Different for them back in them days. Joseph didn't even care about that either. He wasn't fearful of man or the religious traditions. He loved Christ that much. You see, he that is Joseph went in with great boldness. And when he asked to take down the dead, the dead body of Christ, well, that would have made him even more clean, unclean if there was such a thing. You see, in the Old Testament, we read in Numbers 19, that whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days. He shall cleanse himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day, and so be clean. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not become clean. Whoever touches a dead person, the body of, of anyone who has died, even if you touch someone who had touched a dead person, you were unclean again, and does not cleanse himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from Israel, because the water for impurity was not thrown on him. He shall be unclean. His old cleanness is still on him. Joseph didn't care. He loved Christ that much. Joseph of Arimathea knew, he knew in his heart that he had to do this for the kingdom of God. Picture this, if you will, and use your imagination. Later on, we're going to take the communion. But picture this. Joseph takes for himself a ladder and he goes up each rung of it very slowly, I'm sure. And probably there's blood all around. And as he gets up, he gets closer to our Lord and he can feel the coldness of his body hanging upon that tree. And he doesn't just touch the body with a graze. He embraces the body of our Lord. With all the earthly punishment that the men of this world had placed upon him, Joseph embraces our Lord. He brings him down from that tree with carefulness. And so we can see so clearly that this man is no longer secret. He's up upon that hill where everyone can look upon He's going up that ladder and he doesn't care. He loves Christ. See, but you might say to yourself, Merv, that's okay, fair enough. But how did this all come about? How did he turn from being fearful 
a man who wouldn't open his lips, a man who wouldn't say anything. How did this happen? How could he now go to the ruler of the land and ask with boldness, with boldness for the body of our Lord Jesus Christ? And not only ask for it, but go and get it. People would see and know what he was doing and they'd be talking about him. But how did this all come about? I love the Bible when it has little phrases in it that just change things so much. Verse 38, the first two words are, first three words, after these things. The Holy Spirit was so kind in giving us these things. After this, after these things had happened, what is this after this that happened? Well, in two words, it's the cross. It's the cross. Joseph stood by that cross. He saw the soldiers gamble for the clothes of our, Christ, of our Lord. They took that vinegar and they gave it to him. They pierced his side with a spear. They heard Christ call out with a loud voice, It is finished. It was here where Joseph of Arimathea saw the cross and was a secret disciple no more. And let me say this. When you see the cross of Christ, you too can be secret no more either. You'll never see the cross with your physical eyes. But if God opens your eyes spiritually, then he will open your mouth and help you to open your mouth to confess the one who died upon it. When you fully grasp what Christ did upon the cross, how on earth can you be secret? How can you hide and keep these things to yourself? See, after these little phrases are used throughout scriptures to connect different events. So when you read your Bible... Take time and read it. Read every single word. It comes from God. See, before the cross, Joseph, Joseph was secret. But after the cross, he could be secret no more. We also read that he was a counselor. And he waited for the coming of the kingdom of God. Perhaps standing on that cross, he heard what the thief said our Lord and when Jesus turned around and said you will be with me in paradise he wanted the same do you? Joseph seen the cross and it had abolished his secret discipleship he'd seen not that wooden image that people look upon and gaze upon, no he'd seen the, the marred body of Christ he'd seen the one who was hanging there the one with the crown of thorns upon his head, the one with his hands pierced and his feet nailed, the one who died there for us. You see, I believe, don't judge me on it, okay? Don't grab stones and kick me out. But I think God has a sense of humor. Okay? Because in those, in those verses that we read, we can see that God indeed works all things for good. And now you all look puzzled going, 
where is he going to go now? Okay. But we also read in John of a man who helped Joseph, who funnily enough, his name was Nicodemus. Okay. Clearly there. Verse 39, Nicodemus. Okay. Our children could tell of many stories of Nicodemus, but the one that they'll probably know was that he was a scaredy cat, as we like to call him in Ireland. Okay. He was a wuss. Okay. How did he come to Jesus? He came to Jesus by night. Why? Because he was scared. He was fearful of man. Now, why would he be in there? Well, it's an exclamation mark of Joseph. It's like the full stop. We have Joseph of Arimathea, fearful, sees the cross, does a mighty work for God. Nicodemus comes to Christ by night. He was a wuss and a scaredy cat. Sees the cross. Boom. He's there. He's right there with Joseph. He wasn't going to be secret anymore either. He also had an after this moment with Christ. As he watched our Lord die upon that tree. Think about it. What did, what did Christ tell him in, in John 3? That as Moses was left, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man also be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Wow. He's thinking to himself, man, this guy told me this before, and now it's happening. And he too had an after these things event. Nicodemus helped Joseph bring down that dead body. He saw Christ dying on that tree, and both of them were secret before, but now they're not. God makes no mistakes, even in his word especially in his word. Joseph was fearful. You see what happens. Just in case you didn't get the point, he puts Nicodemus in there too, just so you'll actually get it. But thirdly, the job he was called to do. And I'm watching the time, so don't worry. Your casseroles won't burn or whatever you are cooking. Someone's away to check to make sure they're okay. It's all right. He's going to grab the fire extinguisher. It's all right. The job he was called to do. We've seen something of the spiritual struggles that this man faced. But thirdly, we must look closely at the work that he had to do. This was a job that he took upon himself. Okay? He didn't fill out a form. He didn't sit in an interview. He didn't do anything else. No. He had a burden in his heart, and he did it. A job that which brought, I'm more than certain, brought him absolutely no pleasure whatsoever. This man was rich. Okay, He had money. He was wealthy. But yet, he went up that cross, and he removed that bloody stained body of our Lord's. And then he took it, and he began to wash it. And in each of the accounts we read that he went and bought linen cloths. And it was the Jewish custom of the day. It's a bit like us. okay? When a loved one dies and leaves this scene of time, we place them in the best suit that they own or the best dress. It's an act of kindness. 
But place yourself in this man's shoes for a few moments. We were scared. We've seen Christ die. We've went to the palace. And now we're at the place where he's washing the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's thinking to himself, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen to all of us now? And no doubt, just like Nicodemus thought to himself, well, Christ told me that he would die upon a cross. He also said something else, that he would rise the third day. And he did. You see, Joseph gave Christ everything that he had in his death. It was this rich man, and again, God makes no mistakes, it was this rich man who at a previous time saw fit to go and buy some land and there was this huge rock stuck in the middle of it. And he at some time at some stonemason carved out a tomb in the midst of it. And this is very important. Why is it important? You see, the Jews like to say that the body of Christ was stolen, that he never rose from the dead. That he's... He'd, They'd stolen him. No. You see, if that had been a normal tomb, then fair enough. But it's not. That's why I say God makes no mistakes. It was a huge rock. Okay? You all know what a rock is, children? Big rock. Big huge rock. Big boulder. Massive. Bigger than me. Some guy, it's pretty big if it's bigger than me. Okay? Some guy got a hammer and he started chiseling light and he made a nice bowl-like shape in the middle. Now, in a night, you could never dig your way into it, okay? Or you could never get in from the top, the back, there. See, the Jews shot themselves in the foot when they actually put a huge stone in the front of it. They sealed it, and they put guards in front of that as well. How could our Lord's body be stolen? He rose from the dead. It's the truth. You see, it takes away any chance that we can say that, well, did he really rise from the dead? Yes, he did. See, Joseph laid our Savior's body in that tomb. And I'm sure if he was like me, the emotional man, he wept over his still cold body. And as he walked out, he perhaps glanced backward. And maybe he thought to himself, is this the last time I'll see him? And they push that large stone over the entrance. And they seal it. And the guards are there. And Joseph of Arimathea's work is done. He has shown our Lord respect and love. And he's done all these things. The man who years ago was fearful of men now is more fearful of God than anything else. So this morning, what can I conclude with? Well, firstly, I want to speak to you if you are a believer. If you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died and rose again, then this is for you. We need to be at the cross day and daily. And I don't just mean that we see Christ hanging there upon the tree and taking all that 
human punishment that was given to him by men. Look at the pain and the anguish that was given to him by his own father. Think upon the injustice that Christ suffered to save you and to save me from our sins. When he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God forsook his only son for you and for me. Isaiah 53 says this, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased, listen, it pleased God to punish his one and only son for you and for me. And yet at times we can say to ourselves, thanks God, in a half-hearted manner. If we feel like it, we'll maybe read our Bibles. If we've got enough time, we'll maybe pray, but not for too long. There might be something near Facebook or Instagram, or I might have to go and see what Merv looks like. Yes, he's some weirdo. Okay? Or perhaps on a Sunday morning you wake up and you go, oh, I don't feel like going to church today. I'm too tired, or even worse, someone's offended me, so oh, I better stay at home so I don't have to bump into them. And it happens, trust me. We live our lives like it meant nothing for Christ to go to that cross. When we're in our workplace and it becomes somewhat of a swear box for the Lord, what hurt do you feel, if any? When those precious words that we have been given, this is trampled underfoot. When the Lord's day is a day of partying and shamefulness, does it grieve our souls? Or do we just close our eyes and nod our heads and think it'll all be okay? Those times when we know that we're sinning, but we just carry on doing, thinking, well, it's all right, God will forgive me. Shame on us. When you have those times of looking at your Bible and looking at your phone and you go, and you pick up your phone. Repent. When you go to pray and you think, oh, forgot something. Is it really that important? When someone shouts the name of Christ in vain, do we plug our ears or do we open our mouths? when we have an opportunity to come here each Lord's Day and meet with this band of people, these are your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Look at each other. Enjoy one another. Care for one another. Or would you rather just stay at home and be by yourself? Perhaps someone's offended you in the church. What do you do? You keep your mouth shut to that person, but you open it to a hundred others. No. Love one another. Care for one another. This is God's church. This is His place. Love it. Care for it. When we have times when we're going through trials and difficult times, look at the cross. Have your after these things moment again. Think of Jesus Christ. Think of Joseph. He was fearful of man. Are you fearful of man this morning? Honestly, 
Look at yourself. Look in the mirror and say, am I fearful? And look to God. He will help you. Take a stand for Christ. Take and see the cross. Take a good, long, hard look upon it. You're about to take communion. A time when we all come together and and, and drink the blood and eat his body. What's it for? It's to aid us and to help us to keep going. To keep fighting the good fight. To persevere. We're not going to win the battle in an hour or two. It's a long road. Christians, no one ever said that the Christian life was easy. In fact, it's one of the hardest lives. It is the hardest life you'll ever live. Because if you're truly seeing your sin for what it is, oh, it's gut-wrenching. But look at Christ. Look at the Lord. See the one who conquered death. Is he still in that tomb? No. Is he lying somewhere else? No. Where is he? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. The one who, if we are truly believers, we'll get to see. Thank goodness. Dear saint, believer, the days that we live in are getting worse. Who ever looked at the news and went, oh, that was nice? No. It gets worse and worse and worse. It's bad in Ireland. It's worse here. But it's bad wherever you go. It's because of sin. It's because of man's depravity. Christians, brothers and sisters, even though I'm not off this church, I'm with you. I am your brother in the Lord. I don't fellowship with you here. I go to a different church. Does that make us any different? No. We have a king and a savior who loves us all. There is no difference between us. I'm not all saying next Sunday, all oh, you all have to come to IBC. Okay? It would be nice to see you, but I know. You've got to be at your own church. But know that if you're struggling, ask for help. Joseph looked to the cross. We can look to the cross. But we can also look to one another. Encourage each other. Our loving Savior's name and everything about him is being trampled underfoot. But be a Joseph. Put on the whole armor of God. Not just the pieces that you think you might need. You need it all. Be faithful to the Lord. Believe what is your after this? Is it a life that is pleasing to God? Are there areas that we need to address? Yes, I do. But be encouraged. Repent. Take up the cross. And follow Christ with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, every single thing, acknowledge who? Him. And him alone. Matthew ten twenty eight says this. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And that takes me on to those of you here this morning who do not know Christ as your Savior. Those of you who are still in your sin. What can I say to you? exact same thing look to Christ 
today as I've preached here, some of you may have been thinking, man, I wish he would hurry up. I hope my potluck's not getting burnt. Or you might think, oh, my friend texts me, so I better reply. But if you can just give me your attention for a few brief moments. So if your neighbor's sleeping beside you, you have my permission to elbow him. Nice one, Father. I saw that. Okay, that's good. Okay. So we've been looking at Joseph here this morning and how he looked to the cross and it gave him courage. But for some of you today, you need to be like Pilgrim and Pilgrim's Progress. I'm reading it with my kids at the moment. And they're always struck about, why did he have a big burden on his back? It was his sin. And it was dragging him all the way to hell. And if you don't know Christ here this morning, it's doing the same for you. The only hope that you have this morning is not your friends. It's not your phone. It's not your Facebook or your Instagram or Twitter or whatever else. It's Christ. Christ alone. The one who suffered and died for your sins. You see, we left the story of Joseph on a Friday and it might seem as if oh, the world had come to an end for him. But you know what? Sunday was coming. Praise God. When Christ would rise, when he would come out of that tomb just like he said he would, and now he's seated with heaven and with his Father in heaven until he returns. You see, he came the first time to save you from your sins. And the second time he comes, he's coming to judge you for your sins. He's not coming as nice as he did the first time. Do you know when he will return? Because I sure don't. And none of you do either. You see, none of us like to think of when Christ will return. But the Irish are very somber. It's true. We're jolly, but we can be somber. Eh? And today, as you sit here, do you realize that you're a day closer to your death than you were this time yesterday? You see, Christ came as a Savior, but He's coming as a judge. Are you ready? After this. Remember these two words when you're after this has been and you're now dead, lying in a tomb or lying in a grave or wherever you're at. Will you be with the Savior in heaven? Or will you hear those damning words, depart from me, I never knew you. Young person, I hate to pick on you, but I do. Because we think we can live for a long time. We can't. I had a young friend back home who never got to see his 16th birthday. He got trapped in his house when it was burning and he died. And he was ushered into eternity. Some of you might have the delusion this morning that just being here makes you a Christian. It doesn't. Some of you might think, well, my mommy and daddy are saved, so that makes me a Christian. It doesn't. You might say, well, I have a chore chart, and I complete it every day. Surely that makes me a good person. 
In your mummy's eyes it does. But in God's it doesn't. Now that doesn't mean you can leave your room a mess, okay? You have to listen to your mummy. But you have to listen to God even more. See, you can't get to heaven without salvation. And tonight, you young person, and this is where it gets really morbid, but if you, when you close your eyes, if you only listen to the funny Irish man at the front for one minute, answer this question. If God ushered me into death tonight, where would I be? If you were truthful, then you answered the question, hell, then listen to this hymn. Jesus, keep me near the cross, there a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. Near the cross, a trembling soul, love and mercy find me. There the bright and morning star sheds its beams around me. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadows o'er me. Near the cross, I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, till I reach the golden strand, just beyond the river in the cross in the cross be my glory ever till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river as we close and we're about to have fellowship one with each other each of us doesn't know what this week will bring forth not one of us. But to saint and sinner alike, I urge you to be near the cross. Be near to Christ. Be near to the Savior. If you need to find Him, find Him. If you need to find peace in Him and repentance, do it today. Because no man knows the hour or the day when the Lord will return. Only God does. And this might be it. This might be the last time you ever hear a sermon. It might be the last time you hear the dulcet tones of a man or a woman urging you to come to faith in Christ. Do it today. Before it's too late. For those of us who are believers, look to Christ. Man will fail us, and he has. Our friends will fail us, and they have. God has never failed us if we are His. Not once. Come to Him. Come to Him and hope in Him and delight in Him and worship Him and honor Him. Look to Christ and live. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Your precious Word. Lord, it does rebuke us when we think of how fearful of man we can be. How many times we have shut our mouths and said nothing when your precious name was taken in vain. 
Lord, when your word is trampled underfoot and we don't defend it, forgive us. We seek cleansing from you again this morning, dear Lord. Help us to be bold and to be God-honoring in these days that we live. Help us look to that cross where you died, where your body was hung, and where you indeed took the, the wrath and the, the, the anguish from God and you brought it upon yourself, where you saved us from our sins. But you're not there. You're not even in the tomb. You're now making intercession for us. We thank you so much for the great God that you are. For some here who know you not, dear Lord, in your kindness, open their hearts to you today. Save their never-dying souls. If they're young, bring them to yourself. Help them not to waste away their years, but help them to come to faith in Christ at a young age. Help them to give their lives for you. May it be even in this room this morning that there are people who would go into the mission field and take your word to far-off places. That's in your will, dear Lord, then it will happen. For those of us who are parents, help us to be faithful. Help us to show our children Christ every day in our lives, in the word that you've given us. Help us to be a faithful people. Dear Lord, bless our time together now, even as we come around the table to remember you. May we do it with reverence, but may we do it clinging to the hope that you're a God who has died, who has raised, is now seated with God. And we can worship you, the great God that you are. Lord, bless these things to our hearts. We ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen.